0: The Conservative Conscience. And welcome back to Conservative Conscience. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, in the house on Labor Day. Yes, it is Monday, um, our first podcast in September. I know, I know, it's a holiday. And uh, typically I'm off, and I am off in between Monopoly games with my kids. I jumped in my office, which is half soundproof. So hopefully, uh, you know, the kids won't barge in. But if they do, well, we'll have to cut this short. Um, but yeah, I mean, Labor Day in many respects is kind of like New Year's beginning of the school year, finally get the kids out of house after the last couple of weeks in between camp and school. Um, it's also a new time for Congress now is when they come back and they begin everything new. And I'm sure anyone who's followed anything understands that whether it's the budget, the debt ceiling, North Korea, healthcare, there are so many emergencies that are gripping this country. Yet what everyone is concerned about, Republicans and Democrats are so-called dreamers, the dreamers. Now, they don't mean American dreamers. They mean foreign nationals that have violated our sovereignty. In today's show... God willing, we have the time because I am so ticked off. And that's why I kind of jumped the gun. I was going to put this out originally tomorrow. You probably won't get it till Tuesday. Um, But I I just, I'm so jumpy watching the news. Even though I've tuned out over the weekend, I have taken off. I know many of you are worried about my health. (laughs) Um, Don't worry, I am taking off. But I feel a need to get the truth out here. There is something going on as it relates to legal immigration, the so-called children of illegal immigrants being brought here, the, the urgency, the emergency created by the political class to go and give them amnesty, do stuff for them, and not, and not the American people first, that demonstrates, it demonstrates everything wrong with our system of government. Everything wrong with the political class. Everything that's fueling this angst to rebel against everything elite in this country. I want to go through that today. I want to go through how everyone is so off base, both in terms of the proper role of governance, the focus of government, the responsibility of government, and also in terms of the false sense of morality on illegal immigration versus the American people and American citizenry, and how that really embodies the post-humanism, the liberation theology, the political correctness, this religion of PC that has gripped our political class. So Trump is widely expected, and again, he might he might pull the trigger on it by the time you hear this, to uh, get rid of DACA program, which means that he's going to stop renewing the illegal green cards, not green cards, Well, we'll get to that in a minute, but worker permits and social security cards. And he's certainly not going to issue any new ones. Now, you know, I've been critical of him, the fact that he's waited for eight months and that in itself has shown weakness because when you say something is patently unconstitutional and then you keep it around for eight months, you kind of look weak. It opens up an avenue for the other side. But I don't want to focus on Trump so much. I want to focus on the underlying philosophy here and how it cuts to the core of of our democracy. You know, imagine if you had a president that just came along one day, conservative president said, "We'd have it we we we've, we've had enough with social security. You know, younger workers are not going to get it. It's very clear they're not going to benefit from it. The program was unconstitutional to begin with. So therefore, what we're going to do is create MACA, Make American Children Achieve Program. And what that means is we're going to go ahead and allow younger workers to keep their payroll tax. We're going to give them payroll tax amnesty. So they could keep the FICA money that would otherwise go to Social Security and be flushed down the toilet, and they could keep it in their private accounts like an IRA, a 401k, and uh, have property rights, ownership over it, and uh, get to invest it and get a better rate of return. Now, do you think that would get off the ground for one minute, a president unilaterally doing that? It would never get off the ground. It just wouldn't. But let's say it did. And then a couple of years later, the guy gets kicked out or he's term limited, he's on a second term as president, and, and a Democrat wins the presidency. Do you think that program... Would survive for one day. Do you think there would be any opposition to getting rid of it? Any understanding that what that person did was unconstitutional? Do you think there would be any clamor to pander to young Americans and say, "What about our dreamers? That that their hard hard earned money is going to be flushed down the toilet? They're not going to see a cent of Social Security. We need to have a legislative fix." Even Trump is saying, "You know, I'm going to give. I'm not going to give them." Affirmative benefits, but we're not going to deport people for six months to give Congress an effort to fix the problem as if it's our problem, as if we've created the problem. So could you imagine them saying we're going to give six months um, to Congress to fix Social Security? I mean, mean, this is the equivalent of what we're doing. But what I want to say is my analogy actually is is underwhelming. It undersells the severity of what Barack Obama did and what not just Democrats but Republicans are clamoring to do now. It's not an exaggeration to say that Obama's executive amnesty was the most unconstitutional thing imaginable. It was the most unconstitutional act of a president in modern history. And the reason I could say that is, in my analogy, at least you're dealing with Americans. At least it's their money. They're entitled to it. If anything, I mean, (laughs) you guys all know Social Security... Uh, minus a constitutional amendment to create a new tax after the income tax, the truth be told, it was unconstitutional. Um, so, if anything, the president is more in his in the right in that case, following his oath to the Constitution, saying, "Look, you know, I'm going to fix the problem for American citizens that that you know to keep their own hard hard earned money uh, and save them from a program that frankly is unconstitutional to begin with." In this case, you're talking about people that pursuant to the most foundational laws of America or any country, national sovereignty, have to be deported. They have no affirmative right to be here. And you're giving them social security cards when they have no right to be here. And I've said this many times, I'm going to repeat it again. In Federalist 69, when Alexander, Alexander Hamilton was contrasting the role of a president from a king, he wanted to assuage the concerns that Article 2 would give the president so much power, and he said, whereas the one, meaning a president, can confer no privileges whatever, the other, a king, can make denizens of aliens. So that that is the quintessential power that a king would have that would distinguish him from from a democratic republic. Why is that? Because in a republican form of government, the power has to flow from the people. What we are seeing today, what we saw certainly with Obama and what we're seeing with the clamor to pander today, the clamor to pander, and that's going to be the title of today's podcast, Podcast 144, for those of you who follow the numbers, the clamor to pander. What you are seeing is a breakdown of the social compact and the social contract between the people and their government and their elected representatives. What you are seeing in this issue is not just related to this issue, but at best accentuates the problems we have with every issue that we are no longer represented. Our, our politicians don't represent us. That you have an elite culture, the academia, the legal profession, the courts, every big business that's advocating for illegal aliens and not we the people. We have so many problems. North Korea is an emergency. Congress has to deal with that. Declare war on them, or at least authorize use of you know, AUMF and author- authorization of use of force to give the president an open-ended commitment to go and deal with them. We have a an emergency with the courts. I didn't even get a chance to write about this last week. They have thrown out Texas's, um, all of their districts, legislative districts, congressional districts. They just threw out their um, pro-life bill just regulating the di- dilation uh, version of abortion, where they rip out the baby limb by limb, suck it out. No, nope. there's an unalienable right to that, evidently. Obviously, as you know, striking down the voter ID law, and then mandating sanctuary cities, blocking states from enforcing federal immigration law. So we have an assault on the people's sovereignty. We have Obamacare. Where healthcare is destroying this country, it's destroying freedom, it's destroying our economy, it's destroying healthcare delivery. Nope. No emergency, no clamor from Jeff Flake, Orrin Hatch, Tom Tillis, all these bozos in Congress to to, to deal with these issues. No. Oh my gosh, we gotta fix the dreamers. I want to demonstrate how both from a legal standpoint and from a moral standpoint, this violates the core of the social compact, and then we're going to get into the morality of this. We're going to speak philosophically to this. So anyway, back to the quote from Hamilton. Why is it that immigration is the most foundational job of a government? So to begin with, what is the social compact? What is the social compact? So let me read to you from John Adams in the Massachusetts Bill of Rights. I believe it was written in 1780. The end of the institution, maintenance, and administration of government is to secure the existence of the body politic, to protect it and to furnish the individuals who compose it with the power of enjoying in safety and tranquility their natural rights. And whenever these great objects are not obtained, the people have a right to alter the government. The body politic is formed by a voluntary association of individuals. It is a whole social compact by which which the whole people covenants with each citizen and each citizen with the whole people that all shall be governed by the certain laws for the common good for the common good this is all about that that's what the social contract is no one individual gets special rights no one gets special privileges no group gets special privileges we're not even talking about illegal invaders we're talking about you know, those that originally formed that compact, that originally lived there, formed the society. Every, the government is to secure the blessings of liberty for those unalienable rights, you know, because otherwise you'd have anarchy, is to ensure that everyone has an equal, that all men are created equal, meaning equal what? Not equal in terms of achievement in life, that's up to you, but equal in terms of life, liberty, and property. And the idea is that every decision in a society has to flow directly from the people. Now, it can't be directly, directly, because, you know, when you have a society big enough, you know, you can't have a, a million, 10, billion, 10 million, 10 a 100 million people um, voting on every decision. But, you know, basically the notion is that you have the core job of government is to secure the unalienable rights. There's a core red line that they cannot govern or legislate in a way that infringes upon that and then you have a middle ground of things that are just again to secure prosperity different things that are kind of neutral innocuous that maybe it's not the core job of government but maybe it's not banned by government or at least that level layer of government and that has to be done through the consent consent of the people and that's expressed through the congress through a legislative authority in a representative democracy. What is the most important decision a society ever makes? Well, that's a decision that determines who we allow into the country, who we allow to become part of that society because that's going to affect every other issue. And it's funny that Madison, in his essay on sovereignty in 1835, he actually gave an example Of um, When he was talking about the social compact, he used immigration as the quintessential example of why you need Republican government, what that means. And he wrote, in the case of naturalization, a new member is added to the social compact, not only without a unanimous consent of the members. But by majority, meaning because you can't have unanimous, but but majority of the governing body deriving its powers from a majority of the individual parties to the social compact. And, and the notion is immigration citizenship has to be consent, right? You can only join our society by consent. We made a compact by consent, and you can only be allowed in through consent. We can't force you into our society. Nor can you force yourself into our society without consent. It must be consent. So with this, um, with this preface, you guys can now understand why it was so dastardly what Obama did—to unilaterally, unilaterally confer citizen rights, social security cards on people that have no right to be here—that violated our sovereignty. That is why that is the most unconstitutional thing. So this much everyone should agree with what I'm saying so far. I don't care if you're a liberal. I don't care if you're a leftist. I don't care what you are. That is, it's not just the Constitution. It is the underpinnings of any sovereign society. You know, um, so ironic that the man who wrote the preamble of the Declaration, uh, I'm sorry, the preamble of of the Constitution, and much of the actual prose, according to Madison, much of the prose was written by Governor Morris from Pennsylvania. He's one of the big founding fathers. Um, and he, and he, he actually said this at the Constitutional Convention. He said, every society from a great nation down to a club had the right of declaring the conditions on which new members should be admitted. There can be no room, There can be room for no complaint. So this is the man who wrote, we the people. We the people understood the basic concept of sovereignty. Only the people through their elected representatives that you have a major vote on the criteria. Here's the type of people we're going to let in. Here are the circumstances. Only they, that is the only valid, legitimate way of bringing new people into a society. Not to belabor my book, I many of you have read it and those of you who have not, naughty naughty on you still available at Amazon stolen sovereignty this is what i meant by stolen sovereignty in my book that you've had two generations so far of immigration where none of the immigration decisions flow directly from the people so most of the so much amnesty or even the legal immigration loopholes are from the courts From the bureaucrats, the unelected branches, not following statute, or using loopholes in statute that are not the base law and were only meant for extenuating circumstances, using them to bring in millions of people. And even the few statutes we had that went awry, like the 1965 Kennedy bill, they were sold to the people as doing something very different. The people never voted for this. So we've had cycle of amnesty after cycle of amnesty, which has only wrought more illegal immigration. This, this at its core is the biggest dereliction of duty, of the social contract for government officials. Um, so that, that this is the constitutional angle. Now, now everyone says, "Well, Daniel, okay, I understand illegal immigrants, but what about the dreamers? What about the children? Which, by the way, they're they're twenty, they're in their twenties and thirties now. the The point is, they they supposedly came here." They were brought here as part of the family. Now we're going to talk about the false sense of morality, but also tie in some of what we're talking about with the constitutional end. You're right. You're right. Some of them is of no fault of their own. But whose fault is it? Is it the fault of the American citizen and taxpayer that has been languishing from the cost of illegal immigration? The social cost, the language cost, the cultural cost, the fiscal cost, the schools, the hospitals, the welfare programs, crime. Because when you have a lawless border, there's a heck of a lot of bad dudes in this. You know, 2,000 of the DACA people had to be rescinded in just the first few months of the Trump administration. Um, and they're not even vetting that well because they're, they're members of MS-13 and other gangs. So l- l- let's dispel the myth that they're all valedictorians. They're not. Now, of course, when you have millions of people come in your border, yeah, you'll have some decent people. God bless them. There's there's great people living in Latin America, living in Africa right now. Should we land boats there and bring them here? I mean, if, if you're going to give this moral case, then we have an obligation to take boats and actually bring them here. But the point is, it is not the fault of the American people. It's the fault of the parents And it's the fault of the countries of origin, most prominently Mexico, that has used every tool of statecraft to violate our sovereignty and to encourage this. And it's just the utter negligence of American politicians of the last generation. But it's not the American people's fault. This is not a victimless crime. What what they're doing right now is, Daniel, what are you going to do for the dreamers? Dreamers, dreamers, we got to do something. Oh my gosh, there's a sense of urgency. What about the American people? And I'm not just on doing for them on healthcare in North Korea and protecting them. You know, I was thinking, it's funny, maybe we should tell the politicians that if North Korea nukes a city, you're going to kill some dreamers too. Maybe then they'll care about it and uh, do what it takes, bolster our, our, our uh, missile defense systems. But I digress. It's even on the issue of immigration, it's a false dichotomy of how much sympathy are you going to give for the illegals? It's what about the American taxpayer? Let's not kid ourselves. In addition to many of them being criminal elements, even the ones that aren't, these are not your cancer cure people, okay? Pew has the data. Pew has the data. It is obvious. It is obvious. This is the poorest demographic of illegal immigrants. From Latin America, um, the immigrants we've had from Latin America are by and large the poorest Demographic, And, you know, as I'm talking, I'm trying to pull up some data here, um, you know, just in terms of poverty, poverty levels and everything. But um, here, let me see where I can get this. But anyway, you know, I, I know the guy who did this it was Jack Martin from Fair. Uh, I used to work there. Back in the day, actually at the time when he came out with his original cost study that illegal aliens cost a federal, state and local government, mainly a state and local government, by the way, huge strain, one hundred and thirteen billion dollars every year. Folks, that's over a trillion dollars over 10 years. A trillion dollars. You know how much missile defense we could have purchased with that. This is a violation of the sacred bond. Of consent by the the governance by the consent of the governed. You have a responsibility to worry about your constituents. You swore an oath to the Constitution, not to the so-called dreamers. There, God didn't create the world a utopia. There are problems. There are things that aren't perfect in the world. But whose problem is it, and whose responsibility is it? And particularly, there's there's charity. You know, look, if you want to open up a ministry in Latin America to try to improve their lives, that's the way to do it. You want to try to um, loosen our adoption laws, which I think we should do, because that's a way of the civil society voluntarily taking care of some people from other countries, children from other countries. God bless you. But from a public policy standpoint, an elected official, an elected official is like... The head of a household and the head of a household has an obligation to his family. You know, I live in suburban Baltimore, as you well know. Um, it's pretty nasty <laughs> in downtown Baltimore. You know, let's say I, I, I feel bad. I feel bad for the conditions they're living in thanks to 100 years of liberal governance there. Um, you know, I, I, I feel very bad. Maybe I should bring them home one day. Now, obviously, you'll tell, well, what about your kids? What about your wife? Daniel, don't you have an obligation to them? Well, anyway, that is exactly the role of an elected official. So all these people say, we must do something. How dare you? You might want them to become Americans. You might wish they could have, but they are not. At the end of the day, you're right, it might be from some of, them of no fault of their own, but it's not the fault of the American people, and their needs or desires necessarily have to yield to our desires. And like I'm telling you, it's not a zero-sum game. They they have cost us $296 billion over 10 years in just refundable tax credits that they get refundable tax credits unless tax revenue we get in. Oh, they're going to pay taxes, Daniel. Don't you want them to pay taxes? Dude, like, here's what I don't understand. And, and I hear this from a lot of, like, there's a lot of conservatives. Notice, you know, it's funny, you go into the general population, even Democrats understand this issue. No, I mean, I might be for a big government, but not for the rest of the world. But when it comes to, like, conservative libertarian politicos, the interesting thing is, so on fiscal issues or, you know, oh, we, 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 we don't believe in a progressive income tax, no redistribution of wealth to, to Americans. But when it comes to redistributing the wealth to the rest of the world, they're like, Daniel, don't you have any heart? Don't you have a heart? Well, don't you have a heart? Don't you think the top 1% should pay more to other Americans? I mean, I'm, I'm not saying I believe that. I'm just saying because if you're not going to understand public policy from private charity – you know, I, then certainly you shouldn't understand it when it comes to Americans. But I digress. Anyway, it is not a victimless crime here. Everyone understands that if you earn below a certain income, you are a net you're a net taker not a net giver that is just how our until you fix our tax benefit structure that's what it is so this is the poorest demographic young illegal immigrant Hispanics that is what it is don't shoot the messenger okay don't call me names that is what it is Pew like I said Pew has all the data on it Um, they are among the poorest demographic I mean this is just just the reality here Um, you know here I'm just trying to pull this up and should, should have prepared this before. Sorry about that. But um, where are we here? Let's see. Pulling up chapter seven of my book. And, uh, you know, j- just to go through the price that we paid. So, you know, illegal aliens account for 13.6% of all offenders sentenced for crimes. 13.6% of all offenders, they, they represent just 3.5% of the population. Illegals account for 12% of murder sentences, 20% of kidnapping sentences, and 16% of drug trafficking sentences. There are 2.1 million legal and illegal immigrants, so I'm mixing that in there, convicting, uh, convicted of crimes, but 1.2 million criminal aliens remain at large. Um, from 2008 to 2014, the legal and illegal immigrants committed 6, 611,234 crimes, including nearly 3,000 homicide in the state of Texas alone. According to census data, 90, where is this? 87% of illegal immigrant families are on welfare. I mean, folks, this is insane. This is utterly insane. The people never voted for this. This is totally unfair. It's just not fair. It's not fair. Now, let me go further we talked about the state of texas here what about the state of of arizona now california is gone already that is the illegals own it there's like 4, 000, 4 million illegals there as of 2013 it was estimated that there were 630,700 illegal aliens residing in arizona that includes the anchor babies by the way uh, you know because some say you know some only say 400,000 but doesn't include the anchor babies 630,000 okay That is a population larger than the total population of any single colony during the time of our founding. Why is that important? Why is that important? Because Article 4, Section 4, you want to talk about what the government is supposed to do. It's supposed to, it's called the Guarantee Clause, to guarantee protection to the states against invasion. I can't think of a greater invasion than what Arizona had to endure. Over 10% of its pub, of its public school population is comprised of illegals. The Arizona Department of Corrections estimates that illegal aliens comprise 17% of its prison population, 22% of all felony defendants in Maricopa County. They cost the state $2.4 billion a year. And the drugs, the drugs in, in Arizona, the beheadings, the kidnappings, no, I mean, we have never faced such invasion before. It's funny, you people laugh when you call this an invasion. But what other country has done anything to us like this? In any other era without political correctness, this would be considered an act of war. North Korea is the only thing that comes close to being able to threaten us with nuclear warfare. You know, the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about foreign policy, wasted military adventures in Afghanistan. Afghanistan can't hurt us. This is an act of war. You ha- you, there is a guaranteed... Where is the sense of emergency to come back the day after Labor Day and do the 20 things on my list to deter illegal immigration? This is what makes no sense. Where is the sense of urgency to end illegal immigration, to at least do enforcement first? And then we could talk about what to do for the so-called dreamers. What about the American dreamers? Nothing. 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 No sense of urgency. Jeff Flake represents Arizona. What the people are suffering for. And, and the, we didn't even get into the cultural aspects. The fact that 40% of some counties speak another language at home. 25% in some school jurisdictions of the school, um, of the school population are considered ELL. English learning. Uh, what is it? I forgot what the acronym is. It's, it's a euphemism for bilingual education. And by the way, it's funny. They all say that these people are as American as apple pie and they're big producers. Oh, they, they don't know any other country. Yet somehow they clamor for bilingual education. So which one is it? <laughs> you know, by definition, it's self-incriminating the fact that they're, um, you know, pushing for that. But it doesn't matter. Your responsibility is for your people. Daniel, don't you don't, don't you feel bad for them? Well, the ones that aren't violent and the ones that are decent, let me let me tell you something. I do feel bad for them, but that that's a false dichotomy. Forget about immigrants. Talk about domestic crime. Let's say, um, let's say someone's parents have to be locked up. They did a dastardly crime. What about the kids? They're going to live a horrible life without parents of no fault of their own. You know, what about that? Don't you feel bad? Now the answer is, of course you feel bad. But we can't do complete good in life. That's for God. That's in the next world. That's utopia. Our job is to do justice. is the rule of law. And to represent the people you have to represent who come first. If you want to do charity with them, do them on your own dime, not as a public official. From a public policy standpoint, you have to look at the whole of the people. But there's a second half to this. It's not just the fact that we're going to have to pay for all these people becoming getting green cards. And by, and by the way, uh, over 1,000 have become citizen, citizens and 46,000 have, I'll, I'll link to this in show notes, 46,000 have gotten green cards because this is backdoor way. They're supposed to only get social security cards and work permits, but they, it's called advanced parole where they can go home and come back. The, whoever decided this, who invited them in? Who, who did this? There's parole, there's temporary protected status, all this stuff that are loopholes that the people never voted for. It's a violation of the underpinnings of, of not the Constitution, but the Declaration of Independence, Social Compact. But anyway, it's not just the cost, it's the fact that the amnesty itself is what brings on more illegal immigration. It's not just that you have an obligation to solve the people's problem and do enforcement first and not worry about illegals. It's that by worrying about them, you're going to repeat the same mistakes of the last three decades. The core, the core of why we are suffering from all these woes, social, fiscal, security, from illegal immigration is because of the endless promise of amnesty when you come here with kids. And that's why, um, you know, there's been such a spike There's always been a spike Um, right after Obama announced his illegal amnesty. So I have the data here from 2012 is when he was announced it, when DACA was announced to the last to uh, 2014. um, Unaccompanied child minor apprehensions increased 490 percent. That's what spawned the border crisis. That's what spawned it. So by doing this now, you are breaking our borders. You're you're inviting so many more people to come. And I don't know, no, but the but but the criteria is they had to have been here from yada yada. date. yeah, right. But they're gonna come. What are you gonna do? Punish them? That's the problem. It's not just see. It, this this was kind of the rationale in 1986. We didn't have a lot of legal immigration, or it was just starting. You know, we didn't have so much of fundamental transform, tra- transformation, the orientation of our country. A couple million illegals. So they're like, all right, you know, right, we'll give it to you one time. It's already been done. Now we're going to secure a border, done with it. But three decades later, three decades later, when we have so many illegals, when um, we have um, 63.2 million people in this country to speak a language other than English, we have some states where the number is as high as 30% of the population. 37 million residents speak Spanish at home, and there are 708 counties where more than 10% of the population speak Spanish at home. There are now more Spanish speakers in America than in, than in Spain. In, in uh, one Wichita, Kansas school district, this is Wichita, not New York City, 81 languages are spoken. In one Seattle district, 167 languages spoken. Now, now is not the time to grant more amnesty. Just from a public policy standpoint. Because, see, amnesty for the so-called people that came here when they're children is kind of like the, we will not shut the government down type of thing. They know we're too scared. They they use our compassion against us. So they're going to keep coming. What are you going to do with the next wave? No, Daniel, we're never going to do it again. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Because it's the same arguments that you give every time. What? Hey, you're, what What about the next people that are brought here of no fault of their own? Which is why we shouldn't be talking about amnesty at all. We should be talking about cutting off all the magnets, the education, the welfare, the health care of illegals, deporting all the criminal aliens. Do that first. And then l- let's talk about this later. It's a false sense of morality. False understanding of governance. This is not their job. You weren't elected to do this. And folks... In so many respects, this issue reflects every other issue. They just don't give a damn about the people. They just don't. Who's standing for the forgotten man? The American taxpayer that did nothing to encourage this. Suffers in their communities from the crime, the cultural problems, the fiscal cost. And it's such an avoidable cost because it's not... You know, American people, there's one thing to have welfare for Americans. But these people... It's unbelievable. It is absolutely unbelievable. I've never seen anything like this. The clamor to pander. And by the way, let let me just call a spade a spade. It's all racial politics. What other group of people would you have? I mean, these people, illegal aliens and and the so-called dreamers that they created, are the most advocated for and most lobbied for people in this country they are the you know as Jeff Sessions used to always call them the masters of the universe Zuckerberg every billionaire in this country every big business every lobby shop tens of thousands of pro bono immigration lawyers the courts are twisting our laws and our constitution 200 years of settled case law for these individuals I mean, it's, it's amazing if you think about September, what is coming down the pike, what Congress has to do. And we're going to get to this in the coming days. The emergency with the courts. Nothing. They don't even talk about it. What about our amnesty from Obamacare? What about our right to free market health care? What about our right to live in safe cities? What about our right not to pay for Mexican ma- nationals? What about our right not to have our birthright and our legacy and our private property, our national private property rights stolen, stolen sovereignty, to have illegals be counted in the census and give the Democrats an extra 10 or so congressional seats? Who knows how many legislative seats in different states? Illegals voting because they get driver's licenses. And so many of them are now, by the way, so many of them are citizens and legal now because of all the backdoor amnesties a lot of people don't, talk about with the abuse of asylum, temporary status, um uh what do you call that? Um advanced parole. All these mini amnesties we've had. That is why we keep having illegal immigration. Folks, this is the side of the story you're not gonna hear from anyone this entire week. It's all about in a vacuum. Cause that's what liberals do. They they take an issue and they don't look at see As a politician, your job is to look at a public policy standpoint. The whole people, the whole of the people, you look at it from a holistic approach. You don't look at any specific class of people, certainly people that aren't Americans. But what they do is they isolate one issue that's an inherent problem because there are inherent problems in this world. They don't bother to tell you whose fault it is. It's usually their fault. It's usually the very prescription solution that they're advocating is usually the impetus for the problem. And then they block out anything else as if Americans don't exist, as if the cost of illegals don't exist, as if the Constitution doesn't exist, as if the problem that amnesty will immediately spawn more endless waves of illegal immigration doesn't exist. What are you going to do about illegals? This is sick. And it, it. And by the way, anyone who thinks this party is is fixable, it is irremediably broken. <laughs> this is another example. You could count on your hands how many Republicans are putting out statements saying, yes, thank you, Trump, for following our, you know, especially it's pretty impressive with Steve Bannon being at. I'm shocked that Trump is even doing this. Um, but kudos, uh, you know, again, of course, he's going to message it all wrong and. You know, implicitly give in to the messaging and morality of the other side by not seizing the high ground saying, oh, we have to fix this, let's give Congress six months. But nonetheless, we're one Republican after another putting out a statement, we have to fix this immediately. Jeff Flake is a bastard. This man represents Arizona. The drug problems, the crime problems. There's about 15 different things we need to, to do. To, to, to protect Arizona, that is his job. that's his oath to God to the Constitution. His job is not to protect illegals. If you want to start a private charity fund, you can do that and he doesn't, he doesn't care. It is so disgusting. makes me sick. makes me sick. The perverted priorities, the dyslexic sense of morality. And, and, and that's the thing here. D- don't get sucked into this. No fault of their own. own. So what? That's not a public policy punchline. That's not a policy punchline. You're right. It's unfortunate. And this is why we have to say, you know what? We've done this for 30 years. We're not doing it anymore. Now we're enforcing our sovereignty. Now we're protecting Americans first. We're done with with amnesty. And the message is going to be, you cannot come here. Like We're going to be like most other countries, that if you come here and try to establish a life through our border, through overstaying your visa, you're not, it's not going to work out for you. So don't try it. And that's the case in Mexico. It's the case in most other countries. And that's the way to dissuade people from making that, you know, you want to talk about being compassionate. That's the way to stop people from making the dangerous trek through the desert. Disincentivizing. And, and look, I, I said this before, you know, until Trump started to go a little soft, the first few months of his presidency, because of the perception of who he was and his rhetoric, um, the illegal crossings dropped to like a 20-year low. They plummeted. All, it's just an attitude thing. The biggest thing you could do you know, again, I have my 20 homelands, they're not all immigration. Some of them are national security, Islamic terror, homeland security. It's broadly speaking, 20 homeland security ideas I wrote this a couple months ago, I'll link to in show notes, but a lot of them are immigration ideas. But the biggest idea is just posture. Just attitude. Just demonstrating, write some op-eds to put out some media in Latin America. We're done with this. We're not doing this anymore. You have to come here legally. It is sickening. It it just makes me nauseous. It's as if we're the we're the criminal and they're the victim. It's like how dare you? You better grant them. What what did we do? We've been kind like anything. We the we have bestowed immigration status on more Mexicans legally, many of them through amnesty, but some of them through our legal system, more than any other country. Foreign nationals of Mexico get. Roughly 150,000 green cards every single year, more than twice the second and third countries, which are India and China. Over the last number of decades, we've given citizenship to to, to roughly 7 million Mexicans. No country has been the recipient of our generosity through immigration more than Mexico. That dwarfs what we did to Italy, um, which was, I think, the next largest share from any individual country from, you know, the 1880 to 1920 wave of, of, uh, immigration. You know, it's never enough. It's never enough. How dare them? How dare them advocate for that? The notion that they have more of a voice than us? I, I can't understand how illegals could get there and disrupt congressional hearings, get violent, and, uh, that, that becomes a, a, a legitimate platform from which to craft public policy? And they're not listening to us on, on South, uh, North Korea? They're not listening to us on, on Afghanistan on getting our priorities right in the Middle East? They're not listening to us on healthcare. They're not listening listening to us on fixing the courts? They're not listening to us uh, on, on uh, ta- the tax and welfare benefit structure? How dare them? This, folks, encapsulates our broken system of government anyway before I blow up and ruin my entire vacation day I got to get back to the kids we're gonna have so much more this week make CR your one-stop shop and you know the reason why I I say this all the time I could get paid to do a lot less I feel a sense of urgency you know talk about a sense of urgency that Jeff Flake talks about for illegals When something is coming on healthcare, on the debt ceiling, on the budget, to put out information to you guys. Here's what's going on. Here's the conservative way of thinking about it. Here's what we could be doing that's a lot better. Because I know who is speaking for we the people. Who is speaking? When I say we the people, I mean the American citizen as a whole. Not any one class and certainly not foreign nationals. And certainly not if there's some sort of chosen race. We look at everyone as equal in the eyes of God. The pandering is sick. It's like everyone has to get in front of the uh, microphone. They trip on themselves. Oh, no, me, 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 um, me, me. I'm a good person. I'm a good person. You know, we talked about this a lot when, you know, you have just hundreds of people killed um, every week in, in major cities due to black-on-black violence, and nobody wants to address that. Nobody wants to address Ill- illegal immigration, the criminal aliens. By the way, you're going to see Showcase this week. Every single, oh, I, I already saw it. <laughs> this illegal was, was saving uh, residents of Houston. Everyone's a Navy SEAL. You're going to have the next astronaut. They're all the greatest people on Earth. They'll never showcase the rapists, the DACA recipients. We've written about that. The Rockville rapists never showcase that. The ms 13 dudes. Um, and then just the public charge and everything. No, no, Daniel, these people make more money than you. But anyway, I, I view it as my responsibility. I view it that I thank God every day that He has given me this free platform that we still have at least enough freedom in 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 this country that I could speak my mind, unvarnished from political correctness and just speak the truth because no, I I know often no one else will say it. We need a public advocate. there's a lot of public advocates. I, don't don't take this the wrong way. And I don't want to sound like I'm some self-appointed guy here, but in some sense I view that as my responsibility because God has given that to me and, and I, I want to use it to, to represent the people. The view from the heartland. What the people are really thinking, might not be able to articulate it, might not have studied the issue as much. Frankly, don't have time to understand this. I need you guys to do a couple things. Number one, Go to Roy Moore's Senate website. You know what to do. We're getting very close, but they're putting millions of dollars of ads out attacking him. Um, watch it. He's going to be the, mo- the 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 biggest dirtbag in the world. So regarded as a godly man until now, but every guy that runs against the establishment, they're considered dirtbags um, once they run for Senate because you know that's all these guys have to throw at them. So make sure you give money to him. Make sure you go to preparewithcr.com. Support our our sponsors. Patriot supply, get 140 meals, four weeks worth for ninety-nine bucks. You know, those of you who are on the Florida coast now, Hurricane Irma coming in, you might want that. Assuming you don't have to evacuate. It's still early, but um not looking good with the forecast. And also, subscribe to CRTV where you see Steve Dace, Shell Malkin, Mark Levin. By the way, you're gonna want to see the Levin plan on North Korea. He's gonna be he's gonna get very passionate about that in the coming days. And, and that's the best we can do. My promise to you is we are going to speak the truth. My promise to you is I'm going to do everything I can to help jumpstart that new party that we need, that cares about the people, that understands the Constitution, that understands their sacred oath, that understands what public service actually means. And we're going to spotlight the bad players. We're going to spotlight the issues. There is no better place you want to be in the month of September with Congress coming back than CR. Thank you for listening. God bless you all. This has been another episode of The Conservative Conscience.